Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bikini Podcast. This is episode number 96. And today we're going to do a Q&A episode. Questions and answers. Questions have been submitted through NGL on Instagram and we're going to get straight to it. Now, the first question that I have here is, uh, what are your thoughts on peptides, specifically CJC slash ipamorelin, BPC, GHKCU? Not something that I play with. I don't really think it's necessary. I think that some compounds can be beneficial depending on what the purpose is. BPC I hear is really good for injuries, for example. Uh, there have been ladies that I'm aware of that have used that particular product and have used it successfully for injuries. And these are for long-term, I suppose, chronic injuries. So something to consider if you do have anything chronic or anything ongoing that's long-term that does need assistance. But at the end of the day, if you have an injury, it needs to be assessed. And I suppose putting a Band-Aid on the injury is not a good thing. You need, you need a long-term solution. So working with a physiotherapist, for example, is a great idea, not necessarily relying completely on hormones or peptides. Now, my general advice is, is when using performance enhancement drugs, I think keeping it basic is always best. A lot of the time, peptides you know, are recommended, SARMs are recommended, you know, these typically haven't been researched and haven't been used for a long period of time. So anything that you do regarding PEDs has a risk. And that's just something that I always say. It doesn't matter if it's something like Anavar, doesn't matter if it's something like a peptide. Whatever you choose to use for performance enhancement can have a somewhat of a negative impact on you as an individual, whether it's psychologically, whether it's with your health, whether it's blood values. So it's really coming up with a strategy that you can maintain a sustainable approach to performance enhancement and continue to use if you are using it for performance enhancement for competitive purposes. It's like what's going to give you the most bang for your buck, what's also the safest, what's also going to help create, I suppose, or sustain longevity. Let's move on to the next question. So should I bulk or cut as a female with 23% body fat? Also, what body fat percentage do your girls begin with in a prep? So everyone's different. I think it's obviously a massive advantage to have a leaner body fat position in, a, in an off season. The leaner that you are, the better. It just means that you've got less body fat to lose in a prep situation. A lot of the time, ladies will enter into a contest prep completely underestimating the amount of body fat that needs to be lost. A lot of the time, that's the case. And if it's 10 or more kilos in a contest prep, it's gonna become a very challenging contest prep depending on where your starting point is in terms of your metabolism. But why would you wanna enter into a contest prep and have a 20 plus week prep? If you can avoid it by having a you know, more intelligent off season and you work on having a leaner position in the off season and having a lower body fat. I mean, who wouldn't wanna have a leaner body fat year round and work on creating a calorie surplus and having a game plan around calorie management, around weight management in the off season. At the end of the day, we're in this sport to look good, to feel good, and when body fat goes too high, I know a lot of ladies, um, whether it's on the team or whether off the team, they don't appreciate having a high level of body fat. Who does? So why not logically put in the work, be disciplined, and have a leaner off-season weight so you can enjoy your everyday life and you can also be in a much better position should you decide to enter into a contest prep. I don't understand why ladies let their body weight go too high and they go, oh, I wanna enter into contest prep, I'm now all in. It's like, yo, you need to be completely committed and have management around, a strategy around management of calories. And if you don't, it's gonna show 
when it does come time to enter into a contest prep. It is possibly and potentially going to show on show day because a lot of the time ladies aren't in the condition needed to be competitive, especially when it comes to the IFBB. FMG is the same thing, let's be real. It doesn't matter what federation you're competing in, conditioning is very important. And if you're not in the condition required for you to be competitive, to be in a top placing, then perhaps you did the wrong thing in the off season. Perhaps you also did the wrong thing in prep. So why would you add more variables or more? Why would you leave anything to chance in terms of having a higher body fat and then not getting into the shape needed for the, into a contest? So I don't like to also think about things in terms of body fat percentage. I like to look at things in terms of how many kilos over stage weight potentially are you and how do you look? How much muscle mass do you have? So everyone is different, but I definitely advise to have a lower body fat percentage in the off season. So the next question here is, I'm wanting to sign up with you. Can you do two days gym and one to two days from home due to family? If so, what equipment, if, uh, what equipment in your opinion is needed lifestyle? Yeah, I actually have a few ladies on the team that uh, work actually exclusively from home. And I have some ladies on the team that also do exactly what you're suggesting here. I definitely recommend a multifunctional system. So like a Smith machine with a cable crossovers. Um, you can get some dumbbells, that would be really great. And um, not, you don't need a lot. If you've got a multi-station, you can get away with a lot of different things at home. But dumbbells are obviously gonna be very important in a barbell setup for sure. Uh, in terms of like, like you know, leg curl, leg press, all this stuff, you can use that type of equipment at the gym and stick to more of the cable and free weight variations when you're at home. So that's not a problem to be able to work with that equipment. Okay, so do you have any lifestyle clients you have for before and afters for transformation? Absolutely, and you know what's really interesting? A lot of the time I have ladies who come to me that just want to transform their physiques. And then what happens is, is that once they achieve that goal, they start to build momentum, they start to build confidence, and then perhaps the goal changes and they say, hey, listen, I'm actually really wanting to compete. Next thing you know, they're a competitor on stage, but you actually don't realize that that's not the reason why they came to me in the first place. Their intention was just to, you know, to go through a transformation process to you know, develop a nice bikini physique at the beach. And now once they've accomplished that, they move on to another goal and everyone has different goals. And when it comes to you as an individual, you just gotta, you gotta set the goal, you gotta get after it and you gotta keep yourself accountable. And you gotta look at it from this perspective as well. When it comes to general pop coaching, it's much easier for me as a coach to work with ladies in lifestyle because it's not going to require the levels of body fat and the level of discipline and commitment that a contest prep athlete will need to go through. They, need to, they don't need to partake in that type of, you know, really long prolonged diets that I was mentioning with the 20 week preps, et cetera. So lifestyle clients are much easier to work with because they don't need to go to low levels of body fat to that extreme. So very, very easy to work with lifestyle clients. And I do have uh, many lifestyle clients currently on the team. So the next question is at what point to take VAR out for a female in a contest prep. Yo, if you're asking me this and not your coach, it's kind of weird. I think that you need to hire a coach that you can trust and that you can actually listen to. It's not good to have many chefs in the kitchen and I would just completely wholeheartedly recommend to listen to your coach. If you've hired your coach and you, want, and you think they're the best person for the job, listen to your coach, ask your coach for that advice. If you truly feel like your coach isn't the best possible person for you, then why are you with your coach? You know, if your coach isn't going to give you the best outcome possible, then why would you even hire the coach to begin with? That's something that I really don't understand in terms of even when it comes to posing coaches. Like I've ha I was speaking with another lady on the team before 
about contest prep coaching and also posing coaches. And we'll talk about, you know, what I believe needs to be the standard in posing. And a lot of posing coaches don't know diddly shit about posing. They might somewhat know how to pose on an average to decent level themselves, but they don't know what that looks like on others. It's like, if you haven't even mastered, you know, your own posing, right? From my perspective, so I've got a very high level of, okay, it takes a lot to impress me from a posing perspective, let's just say. But if one isn't performing on that level, then why would I think that they're capable, if they're not with themselves, of teaching and coaching a competitor that's on my team to pose well, when they're not at that level themselves? It's actually stupid. So it blows my mind when ladies ask me the question of, hey, what do you think about this posing coach? Like, the intention isn't to be rude. But the reality is the reality. They're not up to scratch. So why would I give you the confidence to say, yep, this is a good move? Because I've got to make a lot of the changes myself. And if I'm not on the same page, I don't need to be educating another posing coach on what I see and what I believe is the best thing to ter- in terms of how to display top to bottom balance and to give away you know, my little secrets. It's stupid. You need to hire the best posing coach possible. And in, going back to this question, you need to hire a a coach that understands PDs, that understands how to pick a physique. It's like so many ladies on state on, on stage, one, don't achieve the body fat that they need to, the level of conditioning, and two, they're not in the full state that's required. They're depleted. They're not carved up and ready to go and full and blaring. So when you have a coach that is capable of achieving a really good level of condition with a very good level of fullness and the really interesting part is that most ladies or competitors or even coaches don't understand what fullness really means because a lot of their athletes aren't exactly carved up and full on stage. So they haven't experienced it and they don't know the difference until, for example, they join the team like, wow, I'm actually carved up. And it's happened with a lot of competitors and they tell me, even when they finish competing, like, wow, Troy, you really carve up your girls. It's like, yeah, it's actually not that difficult. That's why it's actually mind blowing that coaches out there don't do it. And it's the same thing with this question. It's like your coach needs to be able to give you the right information regarding PED protocols, should you be going down that road, and what the peaking strategies are with or without the PEDs. It's like, what is going on here? And it's not just, there's so, there's so many variables that go into play when it comes to peaking, uh, whether you want to keep something in or whether you don't. And it depends on the individual, it depends on the level of body fat, it depends on how much water one holds with a certain compound or not. But yeah, you need to get a coach that has attention to detail, that has the knowledge, that has the confidence to get the job done, and that is a proven track record. Stop using coaches that don't know shit. All right, so the next question we have here is, do you recommend any protocols when females come off Anavar? So the number one thing that I, I, I think that's really important is to get blood work done before your cycle. And I think more important than if anything is to have blood work done post-cycle. And that gives you the opportunity to compare blood values to see if, for example, your liver values are up, if your hormone levels are consistent when coming off, or if they're not. Um, What, if anything, did it have an effect on? And if, for example, your blood work is consistent with how it looked previous, then you're good to go. Clearly, um, the the cycle that you used, the duration that you were on, and the dosage, um, you recovered quite well from coming off. So I think that's the most important thing from a coming off perspective. And then if, for example, blood work is a little bit off, then you need to come up with a strategy in terms of how to manage that, whether it's liver, 
uh, or other issues. So it depends on the individual, but blood work is the first thing that comes to mind. And obviously eating a very well-balanced diet, you know, not having alcohol, not using party stuff, just the no-brainer stuff that I don't think needs to be mentioned, but I'll mention it anyway. Um, in terms of a PCT or post-cycle therapy, none of that I believe is relevant for a female competitor versus the male. So for the ladies out there that are listening to this that have boyfriends, and although PCT is debatable these days, it's a common protocol for men to, to do a post-cycle protocol when coming off PEDs. In the case for females, it's not necessary at all. Okay, so the next question is, my debut, uh, de debut, de debut in IFBB season A bikini. How closer to the stage will you know you were not coming in condition for the category? Waiter stalled for a while. So the sometimes this happens with, with uh, competitors. I've got ladies on the team that stall and then all of a sudden they have a breakthrough and the conditioning's improving. So my question to you would be, uh, even though your weight has stalled, have you seen improvements in your conditioning when you're going into the gym? Do you look leaner? Do you feel leaner? Is your waist smaller? Um, is your weight exactly the same or is it slowly going down? But do you see the difference in conditioning? If the answer is you see some changes, that's great. I think everything is really dependent on the person, your metabolism, your stress levels, whether or not you're using PEDs, whether you know, you're having refeed days or high carb days, how much cardio you're doing. There are so many variables that come into play when it comes into making a decision for you know, what is needed to push to that next level of conditioning. So my thing would be if you're preparing for season A, speak to your coach and have a conversation. Say, hey, what do you think about my conditioning? You know, what's the strategy here? What, what can we do about my weight stalling? Uh, I, I don't feel leaner or whatever the issue might be. Communicate with your coach, first and foremost. That needs to be done. I think more ladies need to communicate with your coach. And if, for example, you feel like you're way out of condition, because I don't know, I haven't got photos obviously of you, I don't know what you look like. But if you are way out of shape, it's like, what is the goal for the contest? If the goal is to win, if the goal is to get a top three placing, etc., is it possible for you to get that placing with the duration in mind? If it's not, if that's the goal, then why compete? You know, why not put, it, put off competing until a later season to give yourself ample opportunity? A lot of ladies will have a really, let's call it chubby off season, and they'll put on a lot of body fat, and then it's a lot, it's, it becomes a lot more challenging to get into the contest shape that's needed for them to get a top placing or to be in a top call out. So I think you need to figure out exactly what the goal is, what the outcome that you're trying to look for is. So like, what is the goal that you're trying to achieve out of season eight competing? Is it possible within the time frame? And if it's not, okay, cool. Review, discuss with the coach, maybe look at doing another season. I actually had this conversation with one of my uh, ladies on the team. Obviously, I like to be as transparent as possible. I do produce a lot of good winners. I do produce a lot of good athletes, but sometimes things happen. And I've got one competitor on the team that I advised. I said, hey, listen, I think she's got, I won't say who it is, but she's got amazing potential. She's got amazing structure. I love her top to bottom balance and proportion. Have I posted her recently on social media? No, so probably you ladies may not know who I'm talking about. Very highly likely that, it, that you don't know, but her proportions are very impressive. Her weight's staying up. She has had a couple cheat meals and she's been honest in, in the communication with the check-ins, which is really appreciative. And it's like, okay, the rate of loss that is required for her to get a top placing now per week is a bit extreme. So I advise, hey, listen, let's do another contest season. I think that we can have an extended off season, put you in a better position, as I mentioned before on the previous question, to you know put ourselves in a better position in terms of a leaner body weight in the off season and then enter into a contest prep uh, without the stress of needing to lose so much in, in a short period of time. 
When you put yourself in a position to do that, you're gonna be stress-free. You're gonna be preparing for that opportunity. And when you take your off-season seriously, it gives you every opportunity to do well when it's time to compete. And with her, amazing potential. Really high-level athlete, has a lot of potential. So yeah, it's just about executing, getting the job done. So. I think have a conversation with your coach and you can come up with a game plan and provided that your coach is transparent and, and I'm assuming he or she would be, it'd be great for you to come up with a game plan. Okay, so next question is, how old is Dimity? She looks quite young, yeah, just only only turned 20 years old. So Dimity uh, is looking very impressive and uh, will be doing juniors, obviously, is just literally just turned 20 years old. So still a baby in the sport and um, is doing incredibly well. And I say would be, will be ready early. She's ahead of schedule in terms of conditioning. All right, next question. Would you do a podcast or post comparing each federation versus version of bikini? Example, the criteria, what is the rewarded differences between each? Um, I would need to do video demonstration. Uh, I wouldn't be against that, but it is quite time consuming. I think it's probably really, I don't know, perhaps you ladies can message me if it is relevant, but who really wants to know this? You know, is it for education purposes? Is it because you want to compete, you're a first time competitor? It's, it does take time to like learn what each, each federation likes, uh, what they reward in terms of conditioning, in terms of posing, in terms of the, the look for the federation. FMG has, has a certain look uh, that they really appreciate in terms of conditioning, in terms of beauty, presentation, posing. They really value certain attributes in, in a woman's physique and what they bring to the stage. And IFBB have certain criteria as well. So it's, yeah, it does require a little bit of, uh, I, I think it's, it requires a bit of research. It requires you to sit, go to shows, to learn, uh, watch the judging, see what they're rewarding, ask questions of the judges, have a discussion with people that are in the audience and see what um, debatably could be accurate or not. And um, it is subjective, of course, but it just takes time. It's not like, oh, because so-and-so won this season doesn't mean that another competitor can't win the following because they could improve in conditioning. They could improve in posing. It doesn't matter what federation it is. So a lot of context is, is involved and it's really, it's much easier to do like a podcast wrap up of certain shows, you know, for example, the IFB shows coming up, the FMG shows coming up, and explaining what was the difference between first, second, and third, and keeping it specific to the Federation. Because how, you, how am I supposed to compare, you know, let's say an IFB physique with an FMG physique, or an IFB physique with an ICN? It's just simply not the same. It's, the criteria is true to the Federation that you're competing in, and that's what's relevant, you know? So for IFBB competitors, they couldn't give two shits what the FMG criteria is like, because Although they, some ladies might enjoy crossovers and, um, and they might uh, really pay attention to how their friends go in other federations, but they're not, they themselves aren't competing in those federations. They're specifically focused on IFB if it's IFB, FMG if it's FMG, ICN if it's ICN, right? Or AMB or YNF or any of these federations. It doesn't matter what fed it is. But ladies, focus on the federation that you want to compete in. Focus on building a physique that best represents, right, the... Federation. So if you have a goal, for example, to look like Laura Lee or your version of Laura Lee, IFB is for you. If you would like to, you know, develop your best version of what Tani's physique looks like in FMG, then go with FMG because she best represents what your vision is, what your inspiration is. So compete to the Federation that suits what your goal is and, and then go from there. That's what I recommend. But 
yeah, it's, it's just much easier doing wrap-ups, I think. And it's much more fun as well. So obviously I do my best to do audio or do podcast wrap-ups because by the time there's a show, so let's say we've got the first IFAB show, uh, I believe is the New South Wales show coming up, and which is seven weeks away, uh, six and a half by the time this gets released, this podcast. I don't have photos available to do a podcast wrap-up. I've got to do the wrap-up uh, with no video or photos, and then I do the wrap-up, I upload it, boom, the next day, or I try to get it done as soon as possible, you know, because we don't have footage. Um, they might do an Instagram, or perhaps they'll do a YouTube live, and it'll be saved on YouTube, so ladies could, you know, watch it on YouTube, perhaps, the replay, but um, that may not happen, so we'll have to wait and see. Okay, so the next question is, what are your thoughts on coaches prescribing insulin to competitors who haven't achieved a pro status yet? I think it's, look, performance enhancement is performance enhancement, right? It's a very interesting topic and who is gonna be the performance enhancement police? Oh, you can use this, but you can't use that, right? Everyone has their different opinion. Everyone has uh, their way to do things, their protocols, etc. I personally don't like using insulin. And that's just my recommendation. That's what I believe. That doesn't mean other coaches don't, because some do. I think it's ridiculous. I think if you cannot actually win a show without insulin, it's crazy, right? And then some bikini competitors, for example, are suggested that insulin is, is great to use. It's like you haven't won an overall state title, an amateur state title. You've got natural competitors that win overall state titles. You've got natural competitors that win pro cards and you can't even win a state show with insulin? What the fuck? So clearly the coach, uh, whether it's the protocol or whether it's the coach or whether it's a combination of everything, I would say is retarded. Uh, it's very odd that, uh, <laughs> that certain PEDs are recommended and encouraged I think that a lot of ladies will go to what PD is the secret? What, you know, what really is going to give me the edge? And sometimes ladies use different compounds and they don't get the result they're looking for. They don't get the outcome. And then they're like, oh, I, I, all girls must be using crazy shit because I've used XYZ. It's like, no, you literally have ladies that are natural bodybuilders or bikini athletes that win pro cards. And you've got girls out there that use growth hormone and insulin who can't even win an overall state show. Think of think of it from the perspective of if the coach is telling them to use insulin and growth hormone and all these other things, right? And they can't even be successful with all this shit. Clearly, the, the protocols are off. Not just the PD protocols, but the training, the nutrition. Wouldn't you lose confidence in your coach's ability to get the job done when they cannot even produce any fucking winners? They're not producing winners, let alone <laughs> let alone winners that are healthy or potential potentially healthy, because where do you go from there when you're using a bunch of, a bunch of hormones and compounds, right? You gotta keep increasing it, or you gotta use more compounds or increase the dosage. That's generally what happens. So I think that a lot of ladies are quick to use PEDs without having the proper foundation, without having you know, the, the good training, the hard training. You know, we're talking about form and execution, mind to muscle connection. We're talking about dietary compliance. We're talking about consistency with all these variables. To me, that's what's really important to lay the foundation and then only then to enhance that hard work, to you know, continue to put in the good work, to perhaps look at using performance enhancement should you want to do that after the foundation's there. A lot of ladies rush the process and a lot of the time that doesn't necessarily mean that it's gonna produce a better outcome because like I said, I've seen many ladies that have used different PEDs and they're not even doing anything significant as an amateur let alone what happens if, if they are successful and they win a pro card, then what? Where do they go from there? 
What do they do? What more? More compounds, higher dosages, okay. That doesn't make sense. I actually find it fascinating when the answer is PEDs. It's like, no, the answer is dietary compliance, you know, execution of movement and consistency. Because you can use all the PEDs in the world, but it's not going to enhance something that's not there in terms of your training intensity, in terms of your nutrition compliance. Because I've seen many ladies that will use PEDs and you'll have natural athletes that get in better condition than the ladies who are using PEDs. Why is that? Like, what is the reason? It's clearly a commitment issue. It's clearly a discipline issue. So there are many examples of, you know, that I can get into that I've personally seen where, you know, PEDs aren't the answer. And especially when using shit like insulin, it's like, what? what's the point of that? So I just don't see a need for it, especially as an amateur. I'm not happy with my current coach. Can I switch, switch to your coaching? So I, for some reason, I get a lot of these on NGL. And I think it's just important to not send an NGL message, right? Clearly, I'm most certainly open to working with ladies. And at the end of the day, as a coach, what do I do? I'm here to provide a service. I'm here to provide a service where you are going to get the best result possible in terms of your result on show day, should you be competing, and obviously in this case. So you're competing, let's say you're doing season A. What is going to get you the best outcome possible? You know, what is the protocol with your training, with your nutrition, with your you know, cardio, putting it all together and obviously with posing and creating the best version of you. Nobody in Australia can do it as, as good as I can. It's just the reality in terms of the bikini criteria and understanding what is, is exactly required to take the physique to the next level in the shortest period possible. That doesn't mean that it's an easy road because it's not. You'll see a lot of ladies on the team that will be at a high level this season but there's only one pro card available if the pro card's the goal. But you'll see the quality and consistent of consistency of the ladies on the team who will go next level, who will look crazy. And season A is gonna be the best representation of that. Now, going back to your question, I always do like to work with ladies from, you know, have an off season with them and then enter into a contest prep. That's always the best case scenario. I'm always gonna produce a better result that way. But there are cases where I'll just work with a competitor in the start of a, you know, maybe a small off season and straight into a contest prep, or maybe it's a contest prep exclusively. And in some cases I take over contest preps um, if it's the right scenario. And in your case, provided that enough context is there for me to understand what I can do. And if the time frame is, is, is in our favor in terms of your body fat levels, your metabolism, where you're at, I can, uh, I can get the job done, but it's not always the best possible um, outcome that's going to be achieved because I've got a limited time frame. I've done it a few times before and it is more challenging than obviously working with someone in the off season. So my thing would be for ladies that are, are really serious about, you know, achieving next level condition, achieving the best possible look on show day, start with me in the off season and we can come up with a game plan to build the size, the top to bottom balance necessary to do really well, to work on your posing to the highest level possible. And believe me, I'll hold you accountable and then enter into contest prep to be prepared and to you know to go all in and to make it happen and there are some times for example ladies that will work with me in the off season but they're not compliant so i need compliance in the off season i need uh, honesty and check-ins and authenticity and we can work together on a solution to create the best version of you so i will always value and appreciate ladies that work with me in the off season first because it does give me more time to get the job done and 
you know, as I said before, someone asked um, how old Dimity is, right? So Dimity and I have been working together in the off season and we set her metabolism up perfectly. She's one of the most compliant athletes that I've worked with of recent times and of recent memory. And because of that, she's 20 years old, she's a natural athlete, and she's about to be in tip top condition, be ready early for her first ever contest. Not just the first ever IFBB contest, IFBB Pro League, but her first ever contest as a natural athlete because she was completely compliant and honest in her check-ins and she got the job done. So that's the reality of what it looks like to be a hard worker, to be disciplined and completely committed to the process. You look like Dimity in your first ever contest. So someone asked, um, how do you test Anavar? You speak about testing Anavar, question mark. So drug testing kit, you, know, you can buy it online. There's many options available online and it's a smart idea. You know, it's important to have a consistent source if you are going down the road because oftentimes compounds are fake. Oftentimes Anavar can be faked. And obviously as a female, it's incredibly important and valuable to look after yourself and to go, okay, do my due diligence and and to test the product because if you are using a product that isn't what it says it is, it can be an issue and it can be some sort of consequence there. So what would you do for work if you weren't a coach? Any other fields, any other interesting fields do you enjoy studying and learning? I don't really, I used to, if I'm very, very busy at the moment and I've got a few things happening behind the scenes. So if I had a lot of free time, I do love reading. So I'm a bookworm. I would be smashing the shit out of books. So Definitely value a good book, um, whether it's a mindset book, psychology, business. I really enjoy understanding, you know, why people are the best of the best and what their theories are and the lessons. There's always something to learn because at the end of the day, if someone writes a book, they're an expert or at least they're, they're wanting to be an authority on the topic. So you're extracting all their lessons of 10, 15, 20 years plus of experience and knowledge in a book. There's a lot to absorb. So I love the idea of reading and uh, would I do something in that space? Probably not. I do enjoy my MMA, my UFC. So I'd probably pursue something there if I wasn't a coach. I don't know what exactly, media, I don't know. What would I do there? Maybe commentary, UFC commentary. Uh, maybe I'd be a YouTuber and I'd be covering a lot of MMA content, probably that. I'd probably do some stuff on YouTube where I would be just an MMA junkie and I'll be covering anything, anything and everything to do with fight sports. I'd probably end up going down that road. That's, if it was me right now, and I wasn't a bikini dude, I wasn't doing competitions, I would 100% be interested in fight sports and uh, more than likely be doing content on YouTube for that because I love my fight sports. So we've got another question here. Advice for someone that has anxiety, but the dream is, uh, but is oh, sorry, but is a dream of theirs to compete. My, my advice would be, first of all, probably know you can see this coming, work, work with a clinical psychologist and, and work through anxiety as an issue and you know, really focus on reflection and I would say pushing yourself, pushing oneself outside the comfort zone. And I believe um, the best way to combat anything, this is obviously an unprofessional opinion, would be to attack it straight on. And I would compete. I would step outside the comfort zone. I would challenge yourself because what's going to happen when you challenge your thoughts and you challenge behaviors and patterns and emotions? You're going to conquer that shit. You're going to feel very rewarded and fulfilled. Competing on stage, I, I genuinely think is scary. It's a scary thought, especially for a first-time competitor. 
You'll see uh, novice competitors, even open competitors, seasoned competitors will still get nervous before they go on stage. There might be some competition anxiety, there might be competition nerves, whatever you want to call it, the label doesn't matter, but there is something going on there. It's not easy to you know, present a physique and to go on stage and to be judged and then to receive feedback on what you need to improve on. So you definitely need to be strong mentally, you need to be prepared and willing to accept feedback, whether it's warranted or not, whether it's solicited, solicited or not, because you'll step on stage and ask judges for feedback, then you'll have people like me who might comment on your physique. Like, Troy, I didn't ask you for your opinion, but you're doing a podcast about it. You're talking about me, right? So you are being on stage. Uh, you are obviously on stage, if you are competing, to be judged by the judges and obviously friends, family, coaches, and people in attendance. Some people will think that you lost. Some people will think you won. Some people will think that you should have got a worse placing or a better placing. It's subjective. Thick skin is required. But all good things happen from competing in terms of the level of discipline that you, you must have to enter into contests, the level of grind, grit, discipline. There's a lot of positive things that happen you know, from entering into a contest prep and from competing. The lessons that you learn can be transferable to other areas of your life and you can be disciplined in other areas of your life. You can learn to say no. And learning to say no is a very powerful thing. You know, for example, if you're in a contest prep, you go out to dinner, with, uh, you know, for a birthday, family and friends are eating, hey, would you like this? Hey, would you like, no, no, no. That builds momentum. No builds momentum. Saying yes is mentally weak. A lot of the time, ladies will, oh, you know, just this one thing, oh, just this thing, and men are the same. I'll just have drinks here, one drink's not gonna matter, da da da, da. Saying yes is, is a lot of the time, it's saying yes a lot of the time is saying no to your goals. What you wanna do is say yes to your goals. What you wanna do is say yes to your dreams. And what that means exactly is different for, for everyone, obviously, depending on what the goal is. But for you as an individual, if your goal is to compete and it's scary, you've got to say, yes, I'm going to compete. Yes, I'm going to get after it. Yes, I'm going to commit. I'm going to start posing. I'm going to work on myself. I'm going to put myself in a position you know, to get the job done. And it's scary. I'm nervous, but I'm going to do it anyway. I, I look at it from that perspective and have that positive mindset. Create that mental model for you to be successful, for you to push yourself outside your comfort zone. And you'll be surprised with what you're capable of. I do truly believe a lot of ladies don't, under, don't understand or they underestimate what they can truly achieve in a contest prep. And that doesn't mean purely about the result. It's not a purely about, hey, I've got first place, I've got second place, I've got a top call out. The person that you become during a contest prep, the absolute savage, of an individual, the confidence that you build within yourself, just from saying no and saying yes to your goal, saying yes to your dreams. I'm a big fan of that. So for my advice to uh, this lady who does suffer from a bit of anxiety, see a clinical psychologist, work on it, set some goals and start saying yes to your goals. Because what's gonna happen is five, 10, 20 years down the road, when your time is over and competition might be something that you truly don't want to do as an older athlete, you've said yes when you're younger. You pushed yourself when you're younger. You don't have to think about, damn, I wish I did this when I was younger. You've actually got off your bum and you did the difficult thing and you're going to be very, very proud and you're going to feel very, very fulfilled. A lot of ladies don't get that opportunity because they might be scared. Don't be one of those ladies. Take action and put yourself out there. All right, so that is all the questions. I didn't get a lot this time around. We'll keep it short and sweet. So for 
Ladies that are interested in Q and A's in the future, send me some NGL messages. You know, send me the messages and hey, listen, this is what I want to answer. Give me a bit of context. Tell me the story. I'll go into anything. If you ladies also appreciate this podcast, I would be very grateful, incredibly grateful, if you could share it and and, and tag me on Instagram. That is always a nice thing to see. I am definitely open and I welcome any messages regarding anything that I discuss on the podcast, whether it's a question that you have that you want me to answer on the podcast or whether you'd like for me to answer something privately in the Instagram DM, send me a message. I'm more than happy to to reply to you and send you an audio if it does require a bit more context. If not, perhaps this is something that I can share on the podcast for the next episode and and go into detail and specifics about that because it might be benefiting the audience. Your question, not only will benefit you as an individual, it could benefit a greater audience because sometimes ladies aren't too comfortable just to submit a question, even if it is on NGL. That's why I do the questions on NGL to make it anonymous so people are open and free to ask whatever they like without judgment because I can't see who's asking me the questions, right? But I definitely think that communication is something that we can all improve on. So always appreciate that. Ladies, until next time, thank you for listening and we're out.